Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, let's open them to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and today we will give our attention to verses 29 through 39, Mark 1, verses 29 through 39. While you're finding uh, your place in a copy of God's Word this morning, let me uh, share with you a special uh, reminder uh, about next Sunday's service. So next Sunday, as we gather, we'll take a break from our study through the Gospel of Mark together. And next Sunday, we will have uh, the ordination of two men to the office of deacon here at Poplar Springs and two men to the office of elder here at Poplar Springs. And so I want to encourage you to make plans uh, to be here for that special service. Uh, in our early service next week, we will have an early service, and in our early service we'll uh, turn our thoughts toward the church and how God has designed his church and the function of those offices within the church, and we'll spend some time in prayer for our church here at Poplar Springs. And then in the second service, we'll consider those things again, and then we'll actually ask those men to come before us, and we'll lay hands on them, gather around them, lay our hands on them, and pray over them uh, that God would use them to faithfully fulfill the offices and the responsibilities that they have in those positions. So be in prayer uh, for that service, be in prayer for those men, and I hope that you'll make plans to join us for that special occasion next Sunday. All right, let's get into the Word this morning. Mark chapter 1. I'm going to look at verses 29 through 39, and today we're going to hear Mark tell us about spending a day with Jesus. A day with Jesus. As you look back on your life, I'm sure that you can think of many wonderful days and occasions and uh, memories where you traveled to places and were with people. But could you imagine what it would have been like to have spent a day with Jesus during his earthly ministry here? Well, that's what Mark is going to tell us about as we look into the text this morning. He's going to detail for us what it was like to spend a day with Jesus. So if you have your Bibles open, let's follow along and hear the Word of God this morning, starting with Mark 1, verse 29. And immediately he, that is Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, 
Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Let's pray once more. Our God and our King, we thank you today for your holy word. And Lord, we pray now that in the power of your Holy Spirit, your word would go out and that you would use it today to accomplish eternal purposes. Father, by the power of your word today, may our lives be formed and fashioned into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray now that you would open our eyes, that we would see our ears, that we may hear. And Father, that you would give us hearts that would be soft to receive what you will say to us today. And Father, may you be glorified in all that's said. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A day with Jesus. I imagine if we had the opportunity to spend a day with Jesus, it would be a day unlike any other. It would be a day that we would absolutely never forget. It would be a day that we would want to record all that took place. I don't know if many of you this morning practiced the discipline of journaling. I think they used to call that keeping a diary. I guess when men do it, we can't say we keep a diary, so we keep a journal. But they're basically one in the same. It's not something that I practice. It's not something that I keep up with. But some of you perhaps do. And you know that when you write down in your diary or in your journal, you're recording the events that you want to remember that occurred on a specific day, things that kind of jumped out at you, things that stood out, things that you do not want to forget. Well, that's what Mark does for us here, is he gives us a day in the life of Jesus. Uh, one of the more interesting verses to me in all of the Gospels is what Mark tells us, excuse me, what John tells us at the end of his Gospel. In John chapter 21, Verse 25, he gives us this little snippet as he's closing out his gospel account. John says, if all that Jesus did were written down in books, the world could not contain all the books that would be written. Think about that. If all that Jesus did were to be written down, the world could not contain all the books that would be written. That's absolutely fascinating to me. To think that as Jesus went about his ministry and life here upon this earth, all that he did in three and three and a half years was so much that it couldn't all be recorded. I think as we study through the Gospel of Mark, we do well to remember that what Mark is giving us is really just a snapshot. It's just a Polaroid of events that occurred during the ministry of Jesus. Just snippets here, snippets there. But what we read and what we see is really what took place day in and day out. And this morning, Mark gives us a glimpse of just one of those days. Last Sunday, as we looked in Mark chapter 1 at verses 21 through 28, we were told that Jesus went into the synagogue at Capernaum. And there he taught with authority, and there he exercised authority over a demon. And the crowds were amazed. Well, in those particular verses, Mark uses his favorite word, immediately, immediately, immediately. 
Well, Mark continues that and he strings together the remaining events of that day in our verses this morning. He tells us in verse 28 that Jesus immediately leaves the synagogue and immediately performs another miracle. And then as sun as sundown comes, millions, basically, multitudes gather and he performs even more miracles. He's given us a glimpse of a day spent with Jesus. As we think about this day with Jesus, I think if we were keeping a journal, if we were keeping a diary, there are three entries that we would put down. Three things that occur that we would be sure to take note of on this day with Jesus. First of all, we would write this down. Jesus heals people. Jesus heals people. This is where Mark takes us in verses 29 through 34. This is the emphasis of the majority of our text today. Jesus exercising authority over disease. We saw last Sunday that Jesus had authority over demons. He cast out a demon from a man who was there present in the synagogue after he had taught. Well, now Mark tells us he has left the synagogue Uh, The service had concluded typically around noon on the the Sabbath day, and he heads to the house of Simon and Andrew along with James and John, those four disciples that he had called to himself. Now, archaeologists tell us, interestingly enough, that they believe they have discovered this house of Peter there in Capernaum, that it wasn't far at all from the, the synagogue that Jesus would have taught at. And so they left there, went to the house of Peter to have some lunch, And the house was very interesting. It was rather large for its day. It had no windows to the outside, but instead looked entirely to the inside. There was a gate that you entered into, and it took you into a courtyard. And that courtyard was surrounded by several dwellings. So several people could have lived there. And what we're told by Mark is that one of the people who lived with Peter was his mother-in-law. Now, we don't have her name, but this tells us a couple of things. First of all, that Peter was married. Peter had a wife. We learn that later in the New Testament as well, and presumably had children also. And we also realize that that Peter was a pretty good guy because his mother-in-law lived with him, right? He was taking care of her. Well, on this occasion, as they come to the house of Peter after Jesus teaching and performing the miracle there in the synagogue, uh, Peter's there, Andrew, James, and John, They come to the house, and his mother-in-law is ill. She has a fever. Luke, in his gospel account, with more detail, as a a medical doctor, tells us that it was a high fever, pretty severe fever, something she'd probably been dealing with for some time, because it had rendered her basically incapacitated. It, It was custom in this day that if guests came into your home, you would serve them fervently. You would be about the business of making sure all of their needs were attended to. Well, she was unable to do that. This fever had stricken her body, rendered her incapacitated. She could simply lay there on the bed and do nothing else. Well, when you got Jesus with you, you let him know those kind of things. And so they told Jesus about Peter's mother-in-law. And in verse 31, Mark tells us that he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Jesus here is exercising authority over disease. He performs another miracle, immediately removing the fever from Peter's mother-in-law, healing her instantly to the point that she begins to serve them in that moment. 
But that wasn't the only miracle that he performed there in this home. As the sun sets and the Sabbath is over, uh, now the restrictions of moving about during that day have been lifted and multitudes come to this house of Simon Peter. Mark tells us the whole city was gathered at the door. It's a mass of people. And late into the night, Jesus went about in verse 34, healing many who were sick with various diseases and casting out demons. Could you imagine being there with Jesus on this day? And this was just one day of many days in which Jesus went about healing people who were uh, suffering physically. We would definitely write down, Jesus heals people. But as we think about Jesus healing people, there are a couple of things that would stand out to us. First of all, we would note that he healed them physically. He healed them physically. Now, I realize that that's stating the obvious, but I think it's an important statement that we need to consider. Because as we see Jesus healing people physically, it reminds us that the bodies that we have are important. And it also reminds us that one of the primary ways that we feel the brokenness and the sinfulness of this world are in our physical bodies, right? We feel the effects of sin as our bodies grow weak, as we age, as we get older, as we have physical ailments and walk through physical trials. That's all the result because of this world being plunged into sin, the curse that sin has brought upon creation. But yet we see Jesus demonstrating his power over sin even in our bodies, delivering people from their physical ailments. And this is glorious good news. Because this is reminding us that Jesus, as the Son of God, he can save our souls, but he can also raise our bodies. And this is the hope of the gospel that he gives us. That he heals us spiritually and he will raise us physically. Our bodies will one day be glorified and we will never know sickness or suffering again. Jesus healed physically. We also would probably note that Jesus healed compassionately. Jesus had great compassion for those that he was ministering to and those that he was performing these miracles upon. He was moved with sympathy for those who struggled with physical suffering. It had been a long day for Jesus. He'd already taught at the synagogue. He'd already performed an exorcism. Probably had just a, a very short time for lunch. He heals uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And now at the door, there are multitudes of people. Person after person need, needing to see Jesus and be seen by Jesus and healed by Jesus, but yet Jesus doesn't turn them away. Jesus doesn't go inside and shut the door. No, with compassion, he serves them. With compassion, he healed those who were sick with various diseases. Oh, how fortunate we are that we have a Savior who is compassionate over our afflicted state. He healed compassionately. He also healed completely. He healed completely. We get a great picture of this in the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. There was no process involved here. There was no take two of these pills and call me in the morning. There was no regimen that she was placed under. No, when we look at the miracle that Jesus performed there in the house of Peter, the miracle simply took place as Jesus took her by the hand and lifted her out of the bed. That in that moment, Mark tells us, the fever left her. And she began to serve 
them. Jesus offered total instantaneous healing during his earthly ministry. Jesus heals completely. And for that, we can rejoice. We can be glad. We can thank God that we have a Savior who always brings healing. Now, I know as we think about that this morning, some of you may be going, well, Jesus hadn't healed me. I'm walking through a pretty difficult place physically, or you've had a loved one that you prayed for for a really long time, and they've not been healed physically. Maybe the cancer still remains. Maybe the diagnosis uh, hasn't, hasn't been done away with, and you're wondering, how does Jesus heal completely if this is who he is? Well, what we've got to remember is that for those who have faith, God always heals. Perhaps not always immediately, as is in the case of the miracles that Jesus performs during his earthly ministry, but Jesus will always heal eventually. Everyone who has faith in Jesus as the Son of God will receive healing. In Revelation 21, we get a glimpse into the eternal kingdom. And we're told that on that day and in that place, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. We have a Savior by His gospel who will bring ultimate healing eventually to all His children. We thank God for a Savior like that. But then one more thing we would note about Jesus healing is that he healed publicly. He healed publicly. Jesus is not a charlatan. Jesus is not a fraud. Jesus is not a magician. Jesus is not working with a team of people in a crowd that is assembled uh, to scour among those who have gathered whom he can call out and, and manipulate to present himself as something uh, that should be uh, lifted up or praised. No, that's not Jesus. He is not a modern-day televangelist. When Jesus performed a miracle, he did so openly and in the presence of many. When you read of Jesus in the Gospels performing a miracle, there's always others who are there. Sometimes large crowds, sometimes small crowds, but others are present. He healed publicly. This is proof of who he is, the identity which Mark wants us to recognize. He is the Son of God who possesses authority over demons and authority over disease. He's not hiding that. He does so publicly. Which is why when we come to the end of these verses where we're thinking about Jesus healing people, verse 34 kind of stands out to us. We're told that as the multitudes came, Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Sometimes in that demon oppression and possession of physical ailments would be a result, and Jesus healed them in casting out the demon. But then at the end of that verse, Mark says that Jesus would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now this is an interesting phrase. It's a, it's a phrase that we're going to hear again as we go through the Gospel of Mark. It appears several times in the Gospels. It's often referred to by biblical theologians as the messianic secret. What we have here is Jesus telling the demons to keep his identity on the down low. To be quiet about who I am. 
He tells them that here in the miracle that he's the miracles he performed at Peter's house. He said it previously to the demon that he exercised in the synagogue. He'll say it again to a demon in Mark chapter 3. And sometimes Jesus tells the people that he has healed those who had a physical ailment, and Jesus cures them completely out of compassion and instantly. Don't say this to anybody. Don't tell anyone about what I've done. And then there's two occasions where Jesus has his disciples with him. One of them, he takes them up on this mountain, Peter, James, and John. And in that moment, the transfiguration occurs, and they behold the glory of Jesus. He unveils, unrobes his flesh, unveils his glory, and man, they are taken aback. And when they're coming down the mountain, Jesus looks at them and says, Hey guys, this is just between us. Don't share this with anyone. I don't know about you, but that strikes me as really odd. Because every church that I've been a part of and every ministry that I've been involved in, we've always sought to make much of Jesus. We've always sought to tell people about Jesus, to get the word about Jesus out. But now, here we have Jesus telling people to, hey, zip it. Be quiet. Don't let them know. So this is a real head scratcher, right? What's Jesus doing here? I mean, Mark's writing his gospel about the identity of who Jesus is, and we see his identity and the miracles that he performs, and now Jesus is telling him, don't say anything about these miracles. Well, what's going on? Why this secret that Jesus seems to be wanting kept? Well, first of all, I I think this is part of his strategy, his ministry philosophy, if you will. This is Jesus seeking to avoid a throng of people being raised in uh, Israel who have a wrong perception of what a Messiah is. Many in Jesus' day were looking for a Messiah, but not the Messiah that he was. They were looking for one who would overthrow Rome. They were looking for one who would deliver oppression from political authorities, and and, and they thought, man, this is Jesus' guy. He's going to be the one. And so they're kind of getting this fame that we've heard about, fame spreading throughout all the region. And Jesus like, man, we got to tamp that down. That's not who I am. And so Jesus is wanting to keep this quiet. He's not wanting the demons and the devils to be the one to announce who he is not give them the pleasure or the authority of doing so, so he's keeping them tight-lipped. But I also think it's Jesus operating in humility. One of the key themes that Mark comes through comes to in his gospel in relation to Jesus is that he is a servant. Mark 10, 45, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus draws that out of the Old Testament, particularly of the prophecies of Isaiah about the suffering servant, the Messiah who would come. And one of the key characteristics of that servant is that he operates in humility. He is not seeking notoriety. And so Jesus is seeking to to practice humbleness and meekness and, and humility as he goes about his ministry. So I think all of these are are elements of why this secret is taking place. But ultimately, I think the reason Jesus tells the demons here to remain silent and so many others that he heals of diseases to keep quiet and even his own disciples in great moments that they've had with him to not share it with others is for this purpose. 
Jesus did not come to be known merely for his miracles. Jesus came to be known for his cross. Let me say that again. Jesus did not come to be known merely for his miracles. Jesus came to be known for his cross. And that's where Mark takes us in his gospel. Mark is writing about the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. Yes, Mark knows it. He's declared it. Yes, the devils know it. They have declared it. But everybody else has got to figure it out. And the climactic moment in Mark's gospel where that is revealed is at the end where Jesus is hanging upon the cross. And at the foot of the cross, the Roman soldier says what? Truly, this man is the Son of God. Where do we most vividly see the identity of Jesus revealed to us? In the cross. And so Jesus is wanting to be clear. Jesus is wanting everyone else to understand that he's not come merely to be a marvel or a miracle worker. He has come to be a Messiah who will lay his life down in redemption for sinners. Yes, Jesus healed publicly, but those public healings were not the emphasis of his ministry or mission. But we should note rightly that Jesus heals people. But secondly, another entry we need to put in our diary on this day with Jesus. We should write down that Jesus spends time in prayer. Jesus spends time in prayer. So the Sabbath day is ended. Long into the night, Jesus has encountered those who were oppressed by demons or suffering with physical ailments, and he has healed them. And then in verse 35, Mark tells us, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This is another verse that kind of jumps off the page to us, especially given the identity of who Jesus is, the, the Son of God, the one who has authority over demons and the one who has authority over disease. After a very short night, having gotten just a little sleep, we're told that he gets up early. He sneaks out of the house. He heads out of town. That word desolate is the same word that Mark used earlier in chapter 1 to describe the wilderness location where Jesus was tempted and driven by the Spirit, uh, where he was tempted by Satan. And we're told that he prayed there. Jesus spent time in prayer. He slept but rose early, even after a busy night, to go and pray. Why would Jesus go and pray? Why would the Son of God forego sleep and renewal of energy, humanly speaking, to spend time in prayer? Let me give you three reasons why Jesus did this. First of all, he spent time in prayer to connect with his Father. To connect with his Father. Jesus spent time in prayer because in praying, he was communing with his heavenly Father. He was enjoying that relationship that he shared with him. Jesus, in his praying, would pray to the Father who is in heaven. This was revolutionary. Jesus' prayer life was something 
the likes of which the disciples had never seen before. So moved were they by how Jesus prayed that they asked him, teach us to pray. And in that moment, Jesus gives us what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer or the disciples' prayer. And you remember how it begins? Jesus taught them to pray in this fashion. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus prayed so that he could spend time in communion with his Father. And in prayer, we can do the same thing. It connects us to our God, to our Heavenly Father, to our Abba, as Jesus would teach us to pray. So Jesus prayed to the Father to commune with Him, to connect with Him, but He also spent time in prayer to subject His will to the Father. Now when we think about Jesus praying here, uh, we're, we're stepping into some deeper waters, theologically speaking. Jesus in the incarnation was one person with two natures. He was fully divine. There was never a moment in which Jesus ceased to be fully divine. There was never a moment in which he ceased to be entirely and completely God the Son. He was always that. But at the same time, he had now taken to himself a fully human nature as well. He was fully man. If you want a very interesting word to use uh, the next time you're playing Scrabble, hypostatic. This is the hypostatic union that we're speaking of here. These two natures coming together in one person. And so in this, we have Jesus coming to pray. And in his praying, he is subjecting the will of his human nature to the obedience and submission of the Father's plan for his life. So Jesus is teaching us that in prayer... We subject our will to what God's will is. Now, we forget this about prayer. And in fact, many times we use prayer in a completely contrary fashion. We use prayer to try to manipulate the will of God. But Jesus used prayer to fashion his will after God's will. You remember as Jesus was praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he would be betrayed, the night that he would be arrested and then just moments away from being crucified. Do you remember how he prayed? Oh, Father, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass away from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. So as we pray in our human nature, we share our desires. We share our petitions. We share our requests. We share our wants. We share all of those things with God, but yet we don't manipulate God to see our will occurred. No, we pray those things. We ask for those things, and then we submit what our passions and desires and requests may be to what God's perfect will is. Jesus used prayer in his human nature to align his life in complete obedience to that of the Father. And that obedience meant that it would take him to the cross and the laying down and the giving of his life for sinners. So he prayed to connect with the Father. He prayed to subject his will. And then he prayed to affect the power of the Holy Spirit. He prayed to affect the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now, again, we're dealing with some deeper waters here because Jesus is fully God, but at the same time, he is also fully man. And in the incarnation, while Jesus never lost any aspect of his divinity, 
Certain aspects of his divinity were set aside. And he operated in the human nature. This is why we read about Jesus being tired or Jesus growing hungry or Jesus being thirsty because we're humans and we experience all of those things and so did Jesus. But as he went about in his earthly ministry seeking to do the will of the Father, he did that in his human nature through the power of the Holy Spirit. And how did that happen? Jesus prayed for that. Jesus asked for that. Jesus sought that. So this is why he went out and he prayed early in the morning. Two verses later, Jesus responds to Peter who eventually found him. And Jesus responds that he's got other things that he needs to be about going and doing. We'll get to that in just a moment. But in his answer to Peter, that everyone is looking for you, Jesus says, this is why I came out. That coming out doesn't necessarily refer to his coming out of heaven in the incarnation, but his coming out to pray early in the morning. Jesus says, there's some things I got to be about doing, some places I've got to get to, some more things that need to take place. And for that to happen, I need the Holy Spirit's power. In human nature, he needed the operation of the, of the Spirit. And so he prayed. One of the key things that we focus on here at Poplar Springs as we seek to make much of God by making disciples of Jesus Christ is that we want to empower ourselves through prayer. Because as we pray, we are acknowledging our total dependency upon God for His Spirit to operate in us so that eternal work can take place. If we're laboring simply in the energy of our flesh, I'm telling you, we'll get nowhere fast. But if God through His Spirit would work, And let us simply be instruments in his hands. Oh, the work that could be done. How do we see that happen? As we spend time in prayer. Jesus spent time in prayer. Jesus heals people. Jesus spends time in prayer. And then third, this morning on our day with Jesus, we would write down, Jesus continues on mission. Jesus continues on mission. Verses 36 through 39. Simon and the other disciples and all who are in the house finally wake up that morning and the crowd is already pressing upon the door. The streets are already filled and they can't find Jesus. He's nowhere to be found. They need him desperately because all of these people are here, but but they can't locate him. And so they send out a search party. The word search there that Mark uses literally means they hunted for him. Verse 37, they find him and Peter says to him, everyone is looking for you. Now, that's not just a propositional statement that Peter is offering there to Jesus. In the words of Peter, that's a slight rebuke that he's given. Peter has a tendency to do this. He's rebuking Jesus. Everyone is looking for you. It's like the parent who has lost the child in the store, right? When they find the child and they look at them and say, everyone is looking for you, they're not just stating a fact. They're letting that child know, you just messed up really big. The whole store is looking for you. It's what Peter's doing with Jesus. Everyone is looking for you. Why aren't you at my house helping out all of these people who are sick? Why aren't you healing people? Everyone's looking 
for you. Jesus, undeterred, simply looked at him and them and said, I'm not going back. I'm not going back to the house. I'm not going back to Capernaum. He said, I've got to go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, that northern region of Israel, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Oh, it's here that we discover once more the priority of Jesus in his earthly ministry. It's not that healing people was wrong or bad. It's not that Jesus lacked compassion. We've talked about that. But Jesus realized what the main purpose and the main point was. That was preaching the gospel. That was going to other places and other towns and preaching. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the purpose for which Jesus came. That's the purpose in his ministry. Not simply to make sick people well, but to make spiritually dead people live. To preach to them about faith in him as the Son of God. Jesus continues on that mission. You see, Jesus realized that those in Capernaum and those outside the house there where Peter lived, Oh, they liked the miracle, but they didn't care about the Messiah. He he realized that those people who were gathered there that morning, they really liked the show. They liked the thought that they could be healed or they could be fed, that their needs could be met, but they didn't like the idea of a Savior. They liked the idea of everything being made easy, but they didn't like the idea of repentance. And belief in him as Savior and Lord. So Jesus said, there's more towns that I've got to get to. There's more preaching that I must do. And so he departed. Jesus continued on mission. As we think about this day in the life of Jesus, let us remind ourselves on this day that we too must continue on mission. And let us remember what that mission is. That yes, we should want to meet needs in our community. Yes, we should want to fill empty stomachs and put clothes on the backs of those who have none. But if we don't preach the gospel to them, we've missed the purpose of why Jesus came. We've missed the message that desperately needs to be shared. Let us be a church and let us be a people who are like Jesus and committed to this gospel mission above all. Let us learn from a day with Jesus to spend time in prayer, to realize His purpose, and to remain steadfast in pursuing it. Let's pray together.